Awesome. Good morning. Welcome to our Christmas series called Songs of the Savior. Most of us have a favorite Christmas hymn, don't we? What's your favorite Christmas hymn? Go ahead and tell me. I heard away in a manger, O holy night, silent night, joy to the world. What was it? Oh, come all you faithful. That's a good one. Yeah, I like that one. These are good Christmas hymns. Thank you for not saying jingle bells. Thank you for that. That is not, not a Christmas. It's a good song. Uh, not a Christmas hymn, nor is it silly cousin jingle bell rock. Neither one of those are, are Christmas hymns. Joy to the world. That's a, that's a good one. This, this Christmas season, we're going to highlight one of those, maybe not all of those, but one of those Christmas hymns each week. And we're going to use that Christmas hymn and, and the words that are in it to highlight a portion of the Christmas story, the real Christmas story. And we're going to, as we look at the Christmas story this year, we, like always, want to uh, look carefully for things that we can learn from it that apply to our everyday lives, things that will be helpful to us. I, I don't want this to this series to be kind of like the nativity that you set up at your house year after year after year. You, you set it up, and, and, and it, looks, it looks nice, and we look at it, and, and we feel nostalgic, but really, what is it? It's just something we, we set up, and, and we look at it, and we say, oh, well, that's, that's so nice. It, it makes me feel so Christmassy, you know, when, when I look at the nativity. I want this series to take our hearts into the real story of Christmas, where you and I are hopefully going to be able to notice some, some practical truth that will be helpful in our everyday lives. And we are going to start this morning with the song, Joy to the World. You know the song, right? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. There is a scene in the Christmas story of great joy. It's, it's about this joy-filled moment, this joy-filled interaction between Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her relative Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. And I'm going to ask if you would join me in this moment of great joy in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Here's the, here's the setup. It says, a few days later, Mary. Now, what happens right before that moment Mary had just had this incredible interaction with the angel Gabriel, where Gabriel told her that she would become pregnant through a miracle pregnancy by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we'll look at that scene a little bit later, but that had just happened. It says, verse 39, a few days after that, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to this town where Zechariah lived. This is her relatives. And she entered the house and greeted Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth. And at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child, oh, so Elizabeth is also pregnant. And we're going to find out a little bit later this morning with a miracle pregnancy. She entered the house. She greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a, a, a glad cry, and she exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why, why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. I mean, it certainly seems to fit this moment. But we need to understand that, that this joyful scene that we just stepped into is taking place right in the middle of some major, unexpected, life-changing circumstances in both of these women's lives. These two women spent the first three months of Mary's miracle pregnancy and the last three months of Elizabeth's miracle pregnancy. They spent this time together. And that might not seem like a big deal right now at this part of the story, but if you and I are able to step into the reality of what these women were experiencing, I think we're going to learn something about finding joy in unexpected, life-changing circumstances. Maybe this video will help spark our imaginations and take us into that moment. Let's watch this video. Heaven and nature sing, oh, heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature song, Elizabeth? Oh, a little tune I can't seem to get out of my head. Well, I wish I had your enthusiasm. Look at me. <laughs> I know I said yes, and I meant it. But I also ran for the hills. Is that someone who's highly favored? I'm so glad you came. You ran to the arms of someone who understands more than you know. It's too much. I mean, no one believes me. My parents look at me like I've betrayed them and I'm lying. And the townspeople look at me like I'm hiding some big secret. I know what I saw. And I know I said yes and I meant it, but is this what I said yes to? Oh, try not to worry too much. I know from experience that the Lord has a grand way of getting us all on board with this plan. <laughs> I've laughed more in these six months than I have in my whole life. Well, I wish I could say the same, but Joseph isn't laughing. I mean, he's not laughing at all. Well, maybe Joseph needs to take some advice from Zachariah. He hasn't said a thing about our situation. Is it true? Zachariah hasn't been able to speak since you found out you were pregnant? Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> well, maybe that's just it. Maybe it's just, it's too wonderful. If the Lord has chosen an old woman beyond her years and a young woman before her time, who are we to argue with him? Shouldn't I feel more joyful?
Because all I keep thinking is, why me? Mary, this child has been written about for hundreds of years by the prophets, and now it's coming to pass just as the Lord said it would. Oh, joy is not found in knowing why or how God does anything. The joy comes in saying yes to him when he calls. Well, I guess I did do that. <laughs> oh, yes, you did, my girl. <laughs> we are so blessed, Mary, that the Lord is fulfilling his promises to us through us. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. wondering how in the world did Elizabeth know the song Joy to the World 1700 years before it was written. I know some of you, you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. It's not a documentary. These videos throughout this month are not documentaries. These are dramatic scenes and they are designed to help take us into these moments to spark our imagination, to help take us into the, the real Christmas with real people and imagine what it was really like for them. If uh, wondering about Elizabeth and this song, Joy to the World, if that got your head spinning, uh, <laughs> not to ruin your Christmas, but we're going to talk about Joy to the World today. Did you know that Joy to the World is not a Christmas song? It is for us, but it wasn't originally written that way. Uh, Joy to the World was originally written by Isaac Watts back in 1719. And it was a poem. It was a poem that he had written, and it is a paraphrase of Psalm 98. Really cool psalm. You should read it this week. Psalm 98. Write that down and read it this week. But that psalm, this poem that Isaac Watts wrote in 1719 was a paraphrase of that. And that is about, his poem and that psalm is about the return of Jesus, not the birth of Jesus. So how did it become a famous Christmas hymn? Well, fast forward from the time he wrote that poem, about 100 plus years after he wrote that poem, some, some music teacher from Boston put the poem to music, released it at Christmas time, and it became this famous must-sing Christmas song that we know it today. And here's why I tell you that, not to ruin your Christmas or to you know, make you not want to like that song. The story of Christmas may not have been what Isaac Watts had planned for his poem. Just like Mary and Elizabeth had not planned for their lives to take the direction that God took them in. And maybe you can relate to that. 
Maybe there have been things in your life that you had not planned for, things in your life right now that you had not expected, a, a, a change in direction that you didn't sign up for. And so maybe you can relate. We're going to look at Mary and Elizabeth's story a little bit deeper this morning. We, we're going to come back to that moment of joy that they experienced together, but we need to step into what they were experiencing uh, to, to really appreciate the fact that this stepping into that moment of joy for them wasn't just automatic. And it wasn't uh, what you would typically think of a situation in life or a circumstance in life that you would automatically associate with great joy. Let's meet Mary and Elizabeth. We're going to step into the reality of their lives. In chapter 1 of Luke, let's start with verse 30. We'll start with Mary's experience Verse 26 tells us the time period of this. It was six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, which we'll get to her story in just a moment, but just as, as a time stamp of where we're at when this took place. Verse 30, the angel appears and says to Mary, Don't be afraid, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now Mary asked the angel, how, how can this be possible? How can this happen? I am a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And what's more... Your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. Now, that doesn't mean much to us right now in this moment, but hold on to that. People used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. You might have the phrase, for nothing is impossible with God. Mary was chosen by God for this miracle pregnancy, and we see that she humbly accepted God's will for her life. But go back to verse 39. Notice what she did. According to verse 39, she left for the hills. She left her home. She left her parents. She left her community. She left her fiance, Joseph. And she went to live with Elizabeth and Zechariah for three months. Is that what women normally do when they find out that they're pregnant? Why did she do that? In the Gospel of Matthew, we find out that Joseph, the man she was pledged to be married to, he was, he was really struggling. Understandably so, he, but he, he was struggling to believe her. A miracle pregnancy, really? You expect me to believe that you're not you know, having an affair with some man? A miracle pregnancy, that's what you want me to believe? You, you, can, you can just hear the, the, the thoughts in Joseph's mind. And he was struggling with that. And, and according to Matthew's gospel, he was planning on divorcing her quietly. He didn't want to ruin her life, but he wanted to move on with his We're not told anything really about her parents, but we can probably assume 
Her parents, I mean, if Joseph was struggling to believe her, maybe mom and dad were too. Maybe things in in the community there in Nazareth were, were so difficult to deal with. The looks and the whispers and all of that. We're just making some assumptions about why is it that Mary decided to leave home, leave her town, leave her family, leave her fiance, and go and live with Zechariah and Elizabeth for three months. What caused her to, quote, hurry to the hills? Is it possible that in that moment, Mary was struggling to find joy? Let's meet Elizabeth. Go back to verse 5 of chapter 1. Verse 5 gives us a time stamp on when this was taking place. Herod was the king of Judea. And then we meet Zechariah. He was a Jewish priest a member of the priestly order of Abijah. And his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. And we learn some things about Zechariah and Elizabeth in verse 6. They were righteous in God's sight. They were blameless in God's sight. They were careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. These are good people. These are God-fearing, lovely people. And then we find something else out about them in verse 7. They had no children. Well, Why don't they have children? Because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. And now, in this moment in time, they were both very old. I think the NIV softens it's a little more polite, and it says they were well along in years. And the New Living just gets right to it. Yeah, they were old. So, she was not able to conceive a child for whatever the reason was. When she was young, well, now, now she is too old to have kids. It's like this double, this double whammy. And we find out how that affected her. Later on in the, in the chapter, we, we see uh, it described as when, whenever she finds out about this miracle pregnancy, uh, it says that her, her disgrace was taken away. What's that tell us? Well, it tells us that she felt disgraced in her community because she didn't have children. Well, why, why would that be? Because in the first century, in the Jewish culture, at that time, a couple that could not have children, they, they didn't just suffer you know, feeling like they were lo- missing out on the blessing of parenthood, which, was, which we would understand. They also carried a certain amount of shame, of disgrace, because people thought less of them because they did not have children. We don't maybe understand that in our culture, but that was theirs. And it doesn't seem right, it doesn't seem fair, but that was their reality. These are, these are good people. They, they were upright and blameless in the sight of God, and as their story unfolds throughout chapter 1, we find out that they had been praying for a child. They had been asking God for a child, and we can assume that this this is a prayer from their past. We can assume that this is something they prayed for for years when they were young. Let's read on in their story. Let's jump into verse 13. This angel, same angel, Said, appeared to Zechariah and said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. <laughs> heard my prayer? 
haven't prayed that prayer for years. What prayer? Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Wow. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He will never touch wine or, or other alcoholic drinks. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He will turn many Israelites to the Lord, their God. He will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah. He is, he is going to be the prophet that prepares the way for the Messiah, the coming Messiah, which will be Mary's son. Of course, he's got questions too. Zechariah asked the angel in verse 18, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man, and my wife is also, oh, they softened it up well along in years. Well, that was nice of him. And this is the part of the story, if you notice in the video about him not being able to speak, where Gabriel says, I'm in the very presence of God. I'm, I'm an, a messenger from God, and you, you don't believe me? And he wasn't able to speak until later on in the story after the birth of his son. <laughs> but everything, everything that the angel said was going to happen, happened. Look, go down to verse 23. Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over. And after this whole time uh, away and the, and the appearance of the angel, he goes home. And verse 24 says, soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for how many months? Five months. Isn't that interesting? Went into seclusion for five months. Now, verse 25, we see that they're filled with, with gladness and joy and gratitude. How kind the Lord is. He has taken away, listen, my disgrace of having no children. It's a miracle pregnancy. And according to the angel Gabriel, this was an answer to their prayers. Don't gloss over that. Your prayers have been heard and answered, and we might want to jump into this scene and fire back with, yeah, about 20 or 30 years too late. Now, I wonder if Zechariah, I wonder if Elizabeth ever had a moment when they wondered to themselves, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't get it. Why now? Why not, why not when we were young, when, when we wanted to have, when it would have made sense for, for the plan for our lives and what we would, were expecting our lives to look like? I wonder if they had a hard time in some of these moments of, of finding joy in the miracle. Now we find out they do. Verse 25, they, they, they're, they're grateful, they're, they're excited. But I wonder if there were moments when finding joy could have been difficult, just not understanding God's timing. Why now? I ask that question because of what we see in verse 24. Go back to verse 24. She remained in seclusion for five months. Why? She's excited. She's grateful to be blessed by God with the miracle. But why did, why did Elizabeth feel the need to keep this joyful miracle a secret for five months? Maybe Elizabeth didn't know how to explain the timing of the miracle. You ever had a hard time finding 
joy because you, you, just, you just didn't understand God's timing. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Maybe you have prayed prayers like, why, why now, Lord? Or why, why not right now, Lord? I, I, don't, I don't see what you're doing. I don't get it. Our son, Elijah, has had to wrestle with that question recently. He was really, really excited about playing college volleyball. And his third practice into the season, having a great practice, getting his timing down, hitting really well, 10 minutes before the practice is over, snap. He said it felt like someone kicked him in the calf. He looked around, there's nobody there, and he couldn't walk on that foot. He had torn his Achilles tendon, completely tore it. It's not a normal injury for someone his age. We met with with two different doctors, and they both said that Elijah is the youngest that they have ever dealt with that needed to have this type of surgery, to have that tendon reattached. And so they were wondering, why? Why did this happen? We need to investigate why this happened. We're going to take some of the tendon. We're going to have it tested. We're going to see if we can figure out why this took place. It's not what we would expect in someone your age. Well, they got the report back. And we met with the doctor after his surgery. The, the surgeon sat down and went through everything with us. And she said, the report, everything looks normal. Your, 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 your muscles are a little bit longer than, than most people. But we don't really know why this happened. And we still don't. And it's not the end of the world. But God hit pause on this part of Elijah's life for some reason, and we still don't know why. And I'll be honest with you, when it first happened, he was bummed, which made mom and dad bummed. And we had a hard time finding joy in the experience. And here's the question that our family has been asking over the last couple weeks as as we've been going through this experience with our son. What What if joy is not found in knowing why? What if joy is found in believing that God's plans are perfect, period? What if that's where we find joy? What if it's not found in knowing why? What if joy is found in just believing that God's plans are perfect? Let's go back and read that that scene again from verse 39 where Mary and Elizabeth were together. Mary hurried off to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. 
verse 45, you are blessed because you, what? Believed that the Lord would do what he said. When I look at this scene, when I imagine this scene, I I hope you see what I see. I see joy. I see great joy. I see two women who are blessed by God and who are blessing each other. And we see the timing of God's plan was absolutely perfect for these two women. To be able to encourage each other, to be a blessing to each other as they both experienced, yes, something exciting, but can we just be real about it? This was difficult for both of them. For different reasons in different ways, but it was challenging for both of them. But because God's timing is perfect, these two women were not experiencing an unplanned miracle pregnancy all alone. God chose to do this in such a way that Mary and Elizabeth, they were related. They weren't just two strangers that didn't know each other. They were related, and so now Mary has someone that she can go and spend time with. Someone that she knows loves her. Someone that she knows truly understands. That's why it's so important when the the angel Gabriel tells her about Elizabeth. That wasn't just random information. That was a blessing. Mary, you're, you're not going through this alone. Your relative Elizabeth shouldn't be having a baby now either, but she is through a miracle of God. She understands what you're going through. Elizabeth had someone who would come. Mary would then come, and and she had someone who understands what it is like to experience God breaking the rules of impossible. These two women experienced joy together. They brought joy into each other's lives. And where did they find this joy? Verse 45 says they found it in believing that God was working out his plan according to his timing. That was enough. That's all they needed. Joy is not found in knowing why. Joy is found in believing that God's plans are perfect. And that's enough. You know, this scene from the Christmas story reminds me of this really important passage from 2 Corinthians. I'm just going to read it to you. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4. You can write the reference down, spend some time with it this week, but just listen carefully. Step into or think about some uh, unpleasant season, some difficult moment in your life. Get it in your mind and then take it to 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is merciful the Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given to us. Let me ask you, when you apply that passage to your life, when I apply it to my life, we start asking questions like, how would, how would 
our attitude change if we began to look at our unexpected, difficult experiences in life, the, even the unpleasant ones, what if we began to look at them as God's perfect timing providing us with opportunities to be a blessing to someone else, opportunities to bring comfort to someone else, opportunities to bring joy to other people who are hurting? See, if we really believe that God's plans are perfect, we begin to ask a different set of questions. We begin to see our difficult circumstances differently. We're not asking, why me? Why now? We begin to ask questions like this. Lord, what do you want me to do as I experience this? Who do you want me to bless Who do you want me to comfort? Who do you want me to bring joy to as I experience this or on the other side of this? And so I want to challenge your heart and mind with this question. What could you do? What could I do to bring joy to the world around us this week? How could you and I be a blessing? How how can you and I bring comfort and joy to someone who is hurting, someone who is afraid, someone who is lonely. And just from a practical standpoint, these are not, and this is not an exhaustive list, but just to get your mind working in a practical direction, maybe it's a small gift, maybe it's a, a, a card, maybe it's a text of encouragement. Well, who, who, whom around us might need to be encouraged? Who around us might need to be comforted? Who around us might be having a hard time finding joy? Maybe it's a nursing home resident. Maybe it's a single parent that you know that is just tired. They're doing their best, but they're worn out. Maybe it is someone who is taking care of their elderly parents and they are stressed. And they don't know uh, if they've got enough gas in the tank. See, there, there are people around us that need encouragement and joy. They need to be blessed. But for this to work, for us to think in these terms and to do this stuff, we've got to stop staring at ourselves. Stop staring at our problems. We have to look up. We have to look around. We have to make being together a priority because otherwise, how are we going to know what's going on in each other's lives? If, If we're not together, think about Mary and Elizabeth. Had they not been together, they would have missed this blessing of joy as they brought joy and encouragement to one another. We've got to make that a priority. We've got to believe that God's plans are perfect and that he has placed people in your life that are different from the people in my life. People that you can bless that I'll never meet. People uh, that God has placed in your life that you understand what they're going through because you've been there. God has placed someone in your life who needs encouragement. Maybe maybe what they need is the hope of the gospel. Maybe what they need is the joy of Jesus. So what are you in Jesus? 
going to do this week to bring joy to the world.